So you're at Luke 23, right? Luke 23 talks about the crucifixion of Jesus. And, you know, we're in the week called the Passion Week. It took passion for Jesus to present himself to be crucified. And so that's why sometimes you hear the word Passion Week. There's Palm Sunday, which this is the Sunday before Easter. Palm Sunday is when uh, we believe that Jesus came into Jerusalem to, to be crucified, to give his life. He knew what was going on. He wasn't surprised. Jesus was not surprised. He knew what it cost and he was willing to pay it. And this week is all about Jesus. So every year that we come to this Passion Week, I ask the Lord, burn a passion within me to see Jesus in a, in a new dimension. And so that's my prayer this morning that you'll carry away from here seeing the person of Jesus and his sacrifice. You know, before he rose from the dead, there was a sacrifice. Just like Josh was talking about the sacrifice. You know, we, we write a check and we, or we do an a auto debit and a reoccurring payment for our tithes. That's good. It's good to be intentional. But sometimes we miss the point of, of the effort it took to present the sacrifice. And so that's what I want us to see this morning, that, that Jesus gave his life. That he died on purpose. Let me just say this. Jesus was not murdered. He was not murdered. He was like a lamb that was led before the slaughter. He gave his life something so precious for you and for me. That shows how precious you are. Right from the very start of this message. You are precious. Think about how precious you are. Because Jesus gave everything for you. Held nothing back. The sacrifice. So Jesus is, is hanging on the cross. Giving his life. And in the middle of this, in verse 46, it says, When Jesus cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the spirit, gave up the ghost, it says. He gave up his spirit. Man is a spirit. We have a soul and we live in a body. But when Jesus, in the fullness of that time, on that moment on the cross, he passed from this life into his eternity because he laid down his life. He could have called 10,000 angels. To rescue him. But he chose not to. He chose to give his life. And Christianity is built upon this foundation of these three core concepts. Number one, the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus is God coming to earth. God comes to earth through the birth of Jesus. The death of Jesus. Number two. Very important. God offering a sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. God offering a sacrifice through the death. The resurrection of Jesus, which we're going to talk about and experience next week, is God giving life 
giving us life, God's life in us through the resurrection of Jesus. So the big question today is, what if Jesus didn't die? What if he had not gone to the cross? What if the cross had not happened? What would it be like? What would life be like? You know, there's a reality here, right here, right now. The reality is Jesus had to choose. He had to make a choice. Jesus' life was not scripted. You know, we, we read from a perspective of 2,000 years ago. We see, we can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we can see the life of Jesus, and we can see these things happening. But we read from a, a, a different perspective. Jesus had to choose every moment that he walked through life to do the right thing at the right time with the right motive. And so what if the cross had not happened? What if Jesus, what if Jesus had chosen not to go to the cross? What if Jesus had chosen the shadow mission? Or what if he, he would have uttered the words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and he didn't give up his spirit? You know, you can say things without following through and doing them. What if Jesus had done that? You know, it's true. In life, everyone has a mission. Everyone has a mission. You have a mission. The person on the, uh, sitting beside you has a mission. Every person in this building has a mission. God has made you on purpose. Now, I know you thought maybe your mom and your dad made you, but God made you. They just had a part to play in that, right? God made you, and he didn't make you a mistake. He didn't make you by mistake, and he didn't make you a mistake. He made you on purpose and with a purpose. He loves each one of us as much as the other. In fact, I'll go so far as to say that he loves each one of us as much as he loves Jesus. Because he saw us in Jesus before we were ever born. That's so awesome. That's how awesome God is, and that's how big his love is. It's hard to comprehend with your natural mind. You have to have the Spirit of God to reveal that to you. God loves you. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, and this is the Message Bible. Look at this. The Message says it like this. I really like it. He creates each one of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work that he does. Underline the work, work, work that he does. He created us with purpose, on a mission. And it says the good work that he has gotten already for us to do. Work that we had better be doing. <laughs> he expects us to fulfill the mission. He created us on a purpose, on purpose, with a purpose. Right? He created each one of us with a specific task, a specific job, and a specific mission to do specific work. Very, very important that we understand that because that's the very same way that he created Jesus. God the Father expected Jesus to accomplish the mission. So Jesus had to expect himself to accomplish that mission. 
Here's Ephesians 2.10 out of the New International Version. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Good works. Which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So everyone here was created for a divine purpose. Now you may have felt insignificant in your life. You may have felt like the most insignificant person on the planet, especially as you go into a large crowd and you're, you, you feel like you're just a spot and nobody even knows that you're there. But I'm here to tell you today that you're not insignificant. God has a purpose for you. And you are part of His plan. And if you think about God's plan as being like a puzzle, if you have a thousand-piece puzzle, maybe you have a 5,000-piece puzzle for those puzzle fanatics that go bigger and have tables devoted to 10,000-piece puzzles. I don't know if they make a 10,000-piece puzzle. But any puzzle that you want to put together, you know what your eye always goes to? The missing piece. That shows you that every piece is significant. The puzzle is not complete until the piece is in its place. Just like God created you as a piece of his puzzle, a piece of his plan. He, he wants you to be right in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing for the right reason. He has purpose for you. He created you with purpose. But like purpose in everyone's life, it can be distorted. That purpose for our lives can be distorted. You know, Adam and Eve were created on purpose with a mission. And God gave them instructions. He said, multiply and be fruitful. And he gave them the ability and the capability to do that. But in two short chapters, they went from serving and obeying God to serving and obeying the enemy. All because of what they were thinking. They, at one point, made a decision to think the lies of the enemy, and they thought that they could be like God. And so their purpose became distorted. They went from knowing God to thinking that they could become God. And that's the strategy of the enemy, is to distort things just, just slightly so that the fake looks real. Think about handbags. There's big cities all over the world where people go and take their fake handbags and they spread them out to sell them to people who want to look like they can afford a $2,000 bag and they sell them for $100 and if you're a real ne good negotiator, you can get them down to $75, Right? To carry a bag that looks expensive. The enemy is looking to sell a fake bag or a fake Rolex. Anybody ever heard of a fake Rolex? Most people don't wear watches today unless they're a digital watch or, you know, people, the, the millennial generation tells time off of their phone, right? But once upon a time, the <laughs> fake Rolexes were really in, in the market. The enemy has fake. But God has the real thing. 
He has the real plan, but the enemy has a fake plan, a purpose that is distorted, a shadow mission, if you will. You know, if, if our purpose becomes distorted, our significance can be exchanged for success. You know, there's a lot of successful people in here. I believe everybody in here is successful. You know, it, if you think about America and how we live, we, we are, and I'm not bragging on America, okay? We are the richest nation on the earth. You look at the lifestyles. People that are considered poor in our country have more than most of the middle-income people in other countries. And I truly believe it's because God blessed America because the founders said, we, we established this nation unto God. Right? But our success, if our purpose becomes distorted, can only remain a success when God wants to move us to significance. We can exchange our significance and settle for success. Right? God wants you to be successful, but he also wants you to be significant. Right? The world is looking for success, but can I say the kingdom of God is looking for significance? It's not being big in the eyes of the world. Our purpose points us to being significant in the kingdom of God. Every member, we've been talking about this for weeks, guys. Every member of the body of Christ is significant. We need every member. The ones you see and the ones you don't see. It's just like serving. If our purpose becomes distorted and we settle for the shadow mission, we can end up wanting to be seen rather than to serve. We start off wanting to serve. We start off giving of ourselves asking nothing in return, and end up, if our purpose becomes distorted, we do things to be seen. Look what I did. Look how much I gave. I worked this event. I posted on Facebook to show what I did. I want to be seen and recognized by men instead of serve and be recognized by God. That happens if we settle for the shadow mission, if we settle for the distorted plan of the enemy. Number three, our substance can become superficial if our purpose is distorted, right? Would we rather have substance or would we just want to have superficial? The superficial. If we allow our purpose to get distorted, the real can just have the appearance Again, like a knockoff purse or a knockoff watch. If you're wearing a knockoff watch and somebody who has the real thing walks up and says, Oh, is that a real Rolex? Suddenly, what you paid for to look real has even diminished in value. Right? Are we willing to sacrifice being significant or uh, 
having substance for being superficial. Jesus had a mission, guys. John one twenty nine says, The next day that John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was mission-minded. He knew that his mission was to take away the sin of the world. He was not willing to settle for a shadow mission. I'm going to explain shadow mission here in just a minute. Luke 19.10. Jesus' mission. Again, 19.10 of Luke. says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus was a man on a mission. He had purpose in each step. Purpose in each word. Purpose in each motion that he took toward the filling, fulfilling of God's plan. John 12, verses 24 and 25. John 12 tells us. These were Jesus' words that he spoke. Prompted by the Holy Spirit. He said, most assuredly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. And Jesus was pointing to him, his own self, his, his own life. He said, if, I'm, if I don't die, then I can't multiply. Right? He said, if, if the seed doesn't fall into the ground and dies, and it remains alone, if it does die, it will produce much, much grain. That is the multiplication. That is the mission. And then verse 25, he says, He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So he knew that his mission was to give his life away. From the day that Jesus was born, he had a mission, which was to die. He continually was offered a shadow mission. A shadow mission is a life without the cross. The cross is the point of decision. The shadow mission is a derailing of the mission. It's not 180 degrees off track. It's just 10 degrees, let's say, 10 degrees off track. But that 10 degrees is in the direction of hell. There's a shadow mission that the devil presents, that the devil presented to Jesus. The devil showed him, Jesus, the kingdoms of this world in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. It says, again, the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to, to Jesus, all of these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So at that moment, Jesus had a decision to accept the shadow mission or to stay on track, fulfilling the Father's plan and continue to obey and serve God, the Father. There was another time where the devil was tempting Jesus to take the shadow mission. 
and he used Peter. And Peter said, you don't have to die. You don't have to die, Jesus. You don't have to die. Can you imagine Jesus investing him? First, think think about Peter's relationship with Jesus. Jesus chose Peter being led by the Spirit. He chose Peter. He pulled Peter close. He imparted to Peter. He trained Peter. He poured his life into Peter for those three years. And here's Peter walking and talking with Jesus. Everywhere he went, Peter was probably the one that said, I want to be in the front of the line. You know, John said, I'm, I'm the beloved. But I think he and, he and Peter were probably right up there at the front. You know, Peter's there. I want to be with Jesus. Think about that. He was walking with Jesus. Jesus was imparting to him and, and training him and, and pouring himself into Peter. All the time for Peter at the end of Jesus, a little bit over three years on the earth, Peter comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, you don't have to die. Look here in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. I'm going to read from 21 to 23. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and to be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Wow. This was the shadow mission being presented through Peter with, with the persuasion of the enemy. Remember, the shadow vision is not 180 degrees off track, 90 degrees off track, just slightly. If you continue on that shadow mission, you'll surely not accomplish what God has for you. But Jesus turned back to Peter and said, get me, get thee behind me or get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Peter at that moment was thinking fleshly, which we all have that propensity or that ability to think thoughts that are earthly and not heavenly, right? So Peter was speaking from his mind, which was not focused on the vision, the plan, the mission of God at that moment. So that tells us a lot of things. We could have two or three more sermons from just that encounter. But think about how even Jesus, who was focused on the mission, knew his mission, knew that he had to give his life, was being persuaded and pulled off by those closest to him, those that loved him. Remember the, the interaction between Jesus and Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. Jesus knew that Peter loved him. Jesus knew that he was investing into Peter. But again, the challenge from the enemy to pull you into that shadow mission. And then in the garden, in the garden, the third point there on your notes, in the garden, in Matthew 26, verse 39, in the garden, Jesus goes a little further in 
deeper into prayer. You know, James says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. This says to us when, when, when Jesus was struggling in prayer, he was agonizing in prayer. There are times that we go into prayer. And, and it just, it takes more than five minutes, guys, to draw near to God. Drawing near to God. Jesus is drawing near to God because he's struggling with the shadow mission. He's struggling with the flesh. He's at a point of decision. He, he sees the cross before him. He sees the cup that he must take. And so he's struggling. Sometimes, guys, we read the New Testament like it was a script. Like Jesus had no choice. He had a choice. This, was, this week was the toughest week of his life. When he said, Father, you've forsaken me, he felt the, the separation in his very being from his Father. Anyone who's lost their Father, anyone who doesn't know their Father, Jesus can identify with you. Because he felt that separation. He was struggling in the garden. He went a little further and fell on his face and he prayed, Oh, my Father, if it be possible. He was at a point where he was, in his mind he was willing to take the shadow mission, to jump off of the track, to do it another way. But then he made that decision and he said, Nevertheless, not, not what I want, but what do you want? What do you want? Because I'm at a place where I know what I want, but I, I have to relinquish my will to your will. That shadow mission, that decision that we have to make, the de decision that Jesus had to make, he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. You, you might not think that Jesus understands what you're going through, but I'm telling you, he went there. He went there. He did what he's asking us to do. You may be in a place in your life where you are just struggling and you, and you need to press into God. You need to draw closer. You need to go deeper in that garden of prayer. There's times where it's just you and God. And your friends are outside the gate and they're all asleep. <laughs> hey guys, wake up. Help me pray. But there's times where God draws us. The Father was drawing him into the garden to sacrifice. And he had to make that choice. He had to make that decision. Do I settle for second best or do I go for what I know that God wants me to do? What a sacrifice. What a sacrifice. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. If Jesus had said yes to the shadow mission, there'd be no cross. There would be no cross. There'd be, if there was no cross, then there would be no sacrifice. Right? It's one thing to say, I will sacrifice. It's another thing to sacrifice. There'd be no death. If there was no cross, there would be no sacrifice, there would be no death. 
The third blank there is death. There would be no death. And if there was no death, then there would be no life. There would be no life. There would be no heaven. There'd be no heaven for you, for me. We would not have the satisfaction and the peace knowing that our lives are hid with God in Christ, that eternity is secure, that our eternity is secure because if Jesus didn't go to the cross, there would be no sacrifice, there'd be no death. We could have no life. Do you see how big this question is? What if Jesus had never gone to the cross? You know, and people may see a crucifix with Jesus hanging on the cross and be embarrassed. Well, there he was, defeated. No, he wasn't defeated. He wasn't defeated. When he made the decision in the garden to take the will of the Father and to lay down his own will, and he chose to do what the Father had called him to do and, and to accept that mission and to go all the way, Jesus opened the door wide for our lives to be eternally secure in the Father. His choice, his choice to sacrifice, his choice to give himself open the door for the eternal life of God to, to be birthed, to, to, to find us. How awesome it is to know. Because Jesus said, yes, we can say, he who was dead is alive and is alive forevermore. Revelation 1.18 Jesus is saying, and we'll hear him say it. We will hear Jesus say this. And we'll be able to quote it with him. When he starts to say it, everyone will say it in their own language. Or we may all be speaking Hebrew. We don't know. If people say that the Hebrew is the language of heaven, we will all say, let's say this together. Revelation 1.18. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Aren't you grateful that Jesus chose the mission? That he said no to the shadow mission. That he made a choice. He made a choice to do the will of the Father. Anybody that is struggling with that today it's okay jesus struggled with it too but he made the right choice and he knows and he's touched with the feeling of your weakness he's moved in his heart because you're in that place of decision you're in that place of decision if you're in here today and you don't know jesus let's Everybody close your eyes and bow your head. 